I V M. In March this year, I spent a month in South Korea, and the one thing that I loved above all else was the internet. Never did anything take time to buffer. My memes looped seamlessly, and my YouTube music never stopped at an inopportune moment. And when I came back home, I had to shake my phone a couple of times, throw it on the ground, and then restart it five times over to get signal. I wondered when will we in India get fast internet? There are 5G trials happening around the world, but our telecom has been slow to catch up with global trends. So, what are the security aspects of 5G that we should be watching out for? Welcome to States of Anarchy, a podcast on global affairs and foreign policy. I'm your host, Hamsini Hariharan. We've been witness to a trade spat between US and China for the last year. On episode 17 of States of Anarchy, I'd spoken to Manoj Keval Ramani about the issue of Huawei and how it played out between the two powers. Today, we're touching on a related topic: 5G communication. Why is it contentious? What implications does it have for national security or for us as citizens? What are opportunities and threats related to it? And most importantly, when will India get this technology? My guest for today is Monish Sharma. Monish is a consultant in the Strategic Technology Center at the Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis. He was a Shevening Cybersecurity Fellow for 2017-18. He works on cybersecurity, critical information, infrastructure protection, space security, and the geopolitical aspects of emerging technologies. Monish has authored research papers, articles, briefs, and commentaries for various journals, magazines, and websites. I caught up with him in Delhi and decided it would be a good time. for us to understand the nitty gritties of technology but before we get into our conversation with manish let's take a short break hey everybody welcome to another great week on the ivm podcast network if you're not following us on social media please make sure you do we're ivm podcast on twitter facebook and instagram Also like to thank Intel and Storytel for supporting us this month. Want to welcome a brand new show onto the network. It's called Peak Planet. It's hosted by research fellow and engineer Karthik Ganeshan. In every episode Karthik discusses sustainability issues that affect Indians through evidence-backed information. In the first season he dives deep into air pollution and the discourse around it. I think this is especially important given the situation across the country these days. On Cyrus says Cyrus is joined by print and TV journalist and founder of fact-checking platform Boom, Govindathiraj. He talks to Cyrus about the importance of fact checking in today's scenario the birth of the india fact check quiz and poses some sample questions to cyrus himself the filter coffee podcast is back with freshly brewed episodes this week karthik talks to senior vp of marketing digital and communications at penguin random house india neeti kumar neeti explains penguin's unique editorial system the challenges faced by publishers regarding piracy and her take on the digital revolution On Mr. and Mrs. Binge-Watch, Janice and Anirudh are back to share their love for the true crime stories. This week, they talk about the hit Netflix show, Mindhunter. On Advertising is Dead, Varun is joined by the CEO of Scoop Whoop, Satvik Mishra. They talk about how Satvik became an accidental entrepreneur. On Simplify, Chuck and Narendra Simplify, conglomerates like Luxottica, Unilever, and, yeah, even IBM Podcast. Yeah, we're a conglomerate. We're a big, big conglomerate. This week on Know Your Kanoon, Amber is joined by Pawan Kakade, partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. They talk about the taxation system in India and topics around economy, startups, compliance regimes, and even more. And with that, let's get you on with your show. Welcome back to States of Anarchy. I'm your host Hamsini Hariharan, and I'm talking to Manish Sharma about 5G technology. Hi, Manish. Welcome to States of Anarchy. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. <laughs> um, so you work a lot on cybersecurity, right? Now I've been hearing a lot that's being said about 5G and I'm trying to sort of demystify it. So what is 5G? What is the whole issue about 5G? 
वट इज फाइव जी If you go by definition, hmm. uh, it's the next generation of mobile standards. Okay. Uh, something like you had 2G, 3G, 4G. Hmm. So next generation of mobile standards is being tagged as 5G, and uh, uh, these standards are being worked out at the International Telecommunication Union, which is a UN body. Okay. And this body is responsible for allocation of radio frequencies, along with that, setting up these standards so that. whatever equipment mobile phones uh, companies develop they remain interoperable hmm. so something what a chinese company has made or something a korean company has made or indian company has made hmm. they should remain interoperable everywhere across the globe okay. so the, another purpose is to achieve economies of scale so okay. if you are building something or you have invested a lot of time and money into it hmm. and once you go to market you will make sure that Uh, you want the maximum impact or coverage hmm. so standards help you uh, help companies achieving those economies of scale okay uh, so that's broadly uh, what 5g like in nutshell is but so, i'll a bit uh, cover that what actually it means for us okay. as people yeah uh, as people 5g means a uh, very high speed of internet hmm. uh, at least on our mobile platforms okay uh, it is as of now the requirements which are being laid down uh, it says around somewhere up to 10 gbps oh. so uh, three use cases or three uh, class services which are being worked about uh, mm. on 5g are something called as enhanced mobile broadband emmbb okay. which is about getting uh, this up to 10 gbps of speed hmm. on mobile platforms I another think. is uh, ultra reliable low latency a uh, communication so that means that the delay which we have over network mm. as of now in the mm-hmm. case of 5g it will be shot down okay so it comes to uh, such a magnitude that 5g will be able to empower next generation applications prime example being autonomous vehicles oh something what as of now uh, mm. 4g cannot do for us mm. uh then next uh, use case or uh, service classes uh it's called as massive machine type communications so that is more to do with internet of things where you have smart factories or smart homes or mm-hmm. uh smart everything where yeah. devices connect to each other and uh, what 5g uh, advantages or uh, what 5g has over 4g is that first of all speed mm-hmm. second is uh, latency is going to be quite low mm-hmm. and third is that the number of devices which uh, 4g supports mm-hmm. in say per square kilometer area Uh, that will, I think, increase by a thousand fold or something. So uh, up to probably, I think, a million devices per square kilometer, a five G network can support. Okay. So for us, uh, beyond better streaming on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, it could mean that um, maybe, as I said, autonomous cars, mm-hmm. virtual reality, people would be able to witness the next Olympics maybe on their VR sets. So those kind of things are going to happen, but. uh the use cases uh what uh, as of now are being projected okay uh they have uh, very subjective applicability i would say in what sense uh, in in the sense that uh, autonomous vehicles right now mm-hmm. uh, is not a perfect use case for countries like india yeah of course uh <laughs> i mean we have reasons, no yeah <laughs> traffic rules that people exactly. follow normally yeah. so i don't uh, imagine how autonomous vehicles <laughs> would work <laughs> so that's why i said like it has to be seen very objective uh, subjectively hmm. uh, so that's why 5g i think means different things for different people 
Okay. So for a technologist, it might mean something else. Hmm. For a layman, it's something else. Hmm. For a company which is into 5G, uh, tele- like probably manufacturing equipment or research or development, whatever, it's something else. And what does it mean for sort of national security? What does it mean for things like critical infrastructure in that sense? Are there use cases there that we see with 5G? See, telecommunication itself is a critical infrastructure. Hmm. All right. And uh, when the debates or when the questions about national security arise, they essentially mean that foreign companies, hmm. their involvement in critical infrastructure is something what uh, you have to be careful about. Hmm. And uh, in this, uh, back against this backdrop, I would say, whatever you have heard hmm. as of now about China should not be allowed to supply or Huawei should not be allowed to supply telecommunication equipment. Hmm. So this actually happens in um, in this premises, like the entire debate is, uh, it remains in this premises that foreign companies, especially hmm. Chinese companies should not be allowed because they have linkages with the government or the people, liberation army or and number of things along with that uh, intellectual property rights issues. Okay. So it arises from there. Okay. So before we move on to talk about like Huawei and what's happening with China, uh, is 5G implemented somewhere? Is it being tested in places around the world? Uh, will it reach India? When will it reach India? Uh, all right. So if you look at the technical deadline, mm-hmm. which ITU has set is, I think, March 2020. To adopt 5G? Uh, to lay down the requirements of 5G. Okay. So laying down requirements for 5G means you have to have those specifications, right? What Hmm. should be the ideal speed to qualify it as a 5G network? Hmm. Or what should be the latency Hmm. uh, to to let it qualify as a 5G? Hmm. So these standardization or requirements, I mean, they have been all throughout uh, when we moved on to 3G from 2G. Um, there were uh, specific requirements that it should support, say, up to 24 kbps, for example, okay, as much of yeah, speed. Yeah. And latency should be uh, below so and so milliseconds. Mm. So when we moved on to 4G, again, we had a huge, um, I would say, jump in the mm. speed which we get. I mean, if you recall, yeah, earlier, yeah. you just cannot, uh, I mean, you just did not uh, stream anything on YouTube. But right now, I think our entire content... Uh, whether it's audio, video, just like... Yeah, so you can stream smooth. everything yeah. on your phones anything without you Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah. So uh, what has happened is like, uh, I think the need for Wi-Fi will still remain there. Okay. But the kind of speed which 5G is promising, hmm. uh, we might not like be using Wi-Fi okay. a lot in that sense, like at least for streaming and um, probably a couple of more applications. Uh, about implementation, as I said, the requirement deadline is uh, March 2020. Mm. So unless until those requirements are finalized, mm. anything which is deployed cannot be technically classified as a 5G network. Okay. Because you don't know like what actually the requirements are going to be. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you look at uh, other countries, Korea, mm. Japan, China, US, uh, a UK lot of them, also, uh, UK along with that, a lot of them from uh, Europe, mm. Germany, France, they all have begin testing through something called as test pets. Okay. Uh, so you have a very small network. For example, we also have a test pet at Delhi. Okay. Uh, but they are more for exploration of technology. Okay. And this is particular companies that have test beds or who's testing? So it has got two things. Uh, first is uh, you would need a spectrum. Okay. Like which uh, has to be allocated or allowed to be used. Sure. And like how we had auctions for spectrums. Yeah. And spectrum is something which is, I would say, a finite resource. Hmm. I mean, you just have 
the radio spectrum for example it's limited right yeah and you have so many contenders mm. uh, armed forces are one of the uh, primary mm. ones along with that government has its own communications existing 3g 4g communication they also have to happen over mm. uh, radio frequencies so it remains contest congested i would say not contested okay and uh, now governments have to take the call like which frequency band they want to allocate to mm. 5g right although it does not uh, like per se infringe into the existing uh, 4g and 3g spectrum mm. it is going to unleash a whole lot of new spectrum uh, okay. which we call as uh, millimetric waves okay so that's somewhere around 30 to uh, 300 gigahertz mm-hmm. and uh, So that's one thing. Like first of all, you need a spectrum, right? Uh, in which you want to test your yeah. uh, network or all those requirements. Along with that, you would need a technology provider, hmm. some company which has developed a five G radio or probably core network. Right now, I think they are not testing, but at least five G radio. Okay. So very few handful. Hmm. Uh, you can say Nokia, Ericsson, Huawei, Zetee, hmm. uh, probably Samsung. Uh, very few in that foray. and then again you would need some provider who is testing uh, so okay. it's airtel or vodafone who wants to test hmm. at the end of the day they are the ones uh, whom we call as the t- telecommunication service providers yeah, yeah so tsp is the one who is going to provide service hmm. we don't get to see what equipment um, vodafone say has deployed we don't care it's samsung or ericsson or huawei yeah, for yeah. us so it's these three things allocation of frequency which is under the control of government hmm. so that's one thing then second is someone who's supplying technology and third is someone who's testing it okay so uh i don't i mean i cannot name like who else is testing as of hmm. now but sure. pretty sure that all across australia us china south korea it's hmm. being done japan our deadline was uh, I am not able to recall exactly, but I think somewhere around twenty twenty one March twenty twenty two, just to have the test beds. Oh, okay. But if you look at commercial deployments, they cannot happen um, in technical sense before March twenty twenty. Oh, and, and, and why is that? It's because all of these processes have, have to, be, to done. be laid down. But uh, that does not stop countries like China and US from going for an early rollout. Hmm. So uh, I'm not sure, like, is China Unicom or China Telecom? But I think they are going with a. With an early deployment, oh, okay. And uh, they have shortlisted around twelve cities. I'm not sure about the number in of India? cities, but or no, in China. In China. Hmm. Okay. Uh, for us, uh, f- the first hurdle as of now is not clear. <laughs> uh, allocation of spectrum, or hmm. uh, government has not explicitly told uh, anyone that okay, this is the spectrum which mm-hmm. uh, we have allocated, or it has not told anyone to release a spectrum like which should be used for, or which is. supposed to be used for 5g so unless until you don't have spectrum i think uh, the other to make no difference yeah it sounds like we're at a very nascent stage uh, at least when you compare us with indeed, other countries indeed and uh, beyond that i would say uh, we don't have any indian company per se which can supply you 5g hmm. equipment so it has to be somebody from outside who is going to say okay all right let's test it or you provide us the test bed and we we'll do the trials so with the current spat that's happening between um US and China one of the main contentions was what is companies like Huawei and ZTE up to so do you think that the idea of technology and 5G technology is the main issue that's brought this up 
I don't think that uh, it's exactly about 5G because uh, this very question of uh, allowing Huawei to supply ICT or uh, telecommunication gear, it's as old as like it goes back to 2003 because there was the case when Cisco had filed a lawsuit against Huawei oh, okay. for an uh, IPR infringement. In 2003? 2003, yeah. Okay. Uh, so like if you look at history because uh, this part of this monograph which I'm writing, mm-hmm. uh, I thought I'll just look at historically that how Chinese companies have come up. Mm-hmm. So I got to know you know, one thing that it's like whatever issues we are discussing now on 5G, yeah. uh, they directly have their groundings in history. So the way uh, Chinese telecommunication industry has grown hmm. altogether, mm-hmm. uh, look at 1949 when like they were nowhere. Hmm. But uh, beginning 1978 when the economic reforms kicked in under uh, Tang Xiaoping, what happened was... Uh, China was nowhere in this segment okay. uh, in telecommunication equipment manufacturing. They were like very, I would say, uh, rugged down in that case. Hmm. Uh, so eventually, uh, domestic production started. Okay, of telecommunication telecommunication equipment, equipment because that that time you had wired uh, communication, mm-hmm. right? You used to have those yeah. landlines. Hmm. So it started there. Uh, the government uh, pumped in money that hmm. all right, we have to do it and. Uh, let's start manufacturing these things. Along with that, uh, it was PLA, hmm. uh, the People Liberation Army, who also had its interest in telecommunications. Okay. For obvious reasons, because it's spread all across the country. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You need to maintain uh, connectivity with the command headquarters and brigade mm-hmm. headquarters and with the central uh, military leadership. So uh, given that, they started their own research into it. And then they started uh, building these companies. Hmm. So Huawei was nowhere in picture by then. Okay. So the Tang was one of the company, Great Dragon Group. Okay. Uh, so these came more as, uh, what do you call it, state-owned enterprises. Okay, so, SOEs. SOEs. And Huawei was established in 1987. That was uh, way after. Uh, by then, Like these were the prime players. Hmm. And uh, what happened was uh, the government, I mean, obviously you don't have, you were just manufacturing. Yeah. So you were manufacturing under license. Mm. So uh, probably Ericsson will tell you, okay, this is a license and let's start production. So Mm. what, that arrangement was good for both Chinese and Western companies because uh, with a license production, Western companies were getting access to uh, like, I should not say, but cheap manufacturing hmm. because of lower labor yeah, costs. Yeah, of so, course. And bec- leveraging that, they were able to expand into uh, Southeast hmm. Asia, West Asia, okay. Asia Pacific at large. Yeah, like a, the Chinese model of manufacturing, yes, right? Yes, indeed. And then government thought that, so what, I, what was happening was under licenses, uh, you were deemed to pay a lot of royalty. Uh, to the original, to the company who has actually invented the technology. Okay. Right. That's proper respect for IPR. Hmm. So Chinese government thought that now what if we start uh, developing our own technology? How do we do it? And then they started, uh, it was like the arrangement earlier was cheap. Like Hmm. it was helping both of them out. Hmm. Uh, It was working out like pretty smooth for both of them. But to spur uh, uh, this particular arrangement where they were uh, kind of getting foreign companies to manufacture, the government had very conducive policies from 1986 till 1996. Mm. And then by 1996, government stopped all these uh, like uh, incentives to mm. uh, yeah, 
foreign imports or foreign technology and they started pushing their own companies mm-hmm. so uh, huawei zte was also formed as a state owned enterprise earlier okay uh, before it was, huawei uh, it was before huawei i think in 1985 okay but it was not in telecommunications earlier mm-hmm. it was into semiconductors okay and i think by 1990s uh, when the government changed its policy and uh, tried to look at how more indigenous production then then these so uh, the thing is government did not uh, clearly stop imports as such but mm. since the service providers like china telecom or china mm-hmm. unicom they were more state controlled unlike india yeah so our case was like uh, just to draw comparison in yeah, this case uh, we uh, allowed private uh, like foreign companies to invest in our uh, networks or telecom service provider that segment okay so vodafone could come in hutchinson could come yeah, in yeah yeah china did not allow foreign companies to provide services in china they okay. were okay to provide equipment but not technology services. but not services uh, what about our technology we were fine with foreign companies we were fine with anything okay all right so what happened was uh, then the government because all the telecom service providers they were under government control hmm. they told that okay you should buy from domestic companies that was the politics hmm. and then in 2001 china um exceeded to the wto like it joined the world trade organization huh, yeah yeah so it became uh, more integrated to the global market so that made sure that government now cannot discriminate hmm. foreign companies so it actually came with few obligations okay. including for telecom sector all right and then uh by then what had happened was uh, because under license manufacturing the public so the uh, chinese manufacturers mm-hmm. they began like they learned the technology mm-hmm. so they started learning that how it could be done better so they okay, yeah, kind they, of try begin improvising on existing technology yeah because they have exposure to the global market exactly now. and around the same time uh 3g was being set up okay. i mean the kind of things which are happening right now with 5g mm-hmm. requirements and standardization that thing was happening with 3g and this is what time frame it was nine mid 1990s okay uh so i think by 1998 china decided that it should bid for its own 3g uh, 3g uh, standard okay so they shortlisted i think couple of them and then mm-hmm. uh, this entire process happened at itu mm-hmm. so they also gave the proposal all right this is the one which we have got it was called as tdscdma okay so uh, eventually i think by 2001 uh, it got accepted and then it became one of the three three 3g standards oh so one was us and korea led okay uh, which is tdma yeah. okay and uh, one is uh, europe led that's cdma mm-hmm. and third one was chinese which is tdscdma and which do we follow which standard does india follow i think ours is more aligned with uh, us, US europe and as compared okay. to tdscdma but once it becomes standard then hmm. anything with uh, interoperates right so oh, these okay, were the yeah. three key technology verticals under 3g hmm. so there was the changeover phase for chinese companies hmm. because uh, huawei had a lot of investment already in europe so europe actually emerged as a linchpin for huawei okay us was a market no doubt mm-hmm. it had its own partners 3com something i think and it it, uh, it went on producing like into production with those companies mm-hmm. but from r&d point of view europe was more important okay uh, it had uh, i think right now i think it still has around 13 research and development centers across europe so wow. it is able to draw in a lot of resources or skill set from european market which feeds into global r&d initiatives 
US obviously was the important market, hmm. but what happened in 2003 was Cisco filed an IPR infringement case, and then they said uh, this particular router software or operating system what Huawei has is supplying now, hmm. uh, it's copied from Cisco, hmm. and they were able to give right evidence that okay. even the command line interface it's few things they had just okay. as it is copied right? mm-hmm. uh i think it went on for some time and then it was settled out of the court and oh, okay. huawei agreed all right we have done this and we'll remove this or they mm. reached an agreement okay that was the beginning mm. uh, ipr infringement so by then what had happened was a lot of uh, media attention and think tanks hmm. i would say specifically rand corporation okay they begin a kind of i would say opinion building against hmm. chinese companies hmm. so first study uh, which was commissioned into uh, understanding uh, huawei's linkages with the pla or the government i think was in 1999 okay that's 20 another, years ago exactly another case another uh, study which uh, i believe uh, the us air force had commissioned again through rnd so through rand corporation was in 2005 so that was the case when they start they begin building this uh, negative Image. sentiment towards uh, huawei that mm. they have linkages with government and how uh, the party committees uh, which exist on almost all private companies mm. major private companies mm. in china universities i mean they are everywhere yeah yeah so they pointed out that uh, huawei also has a party committee hmm. along with that what generally surfaces very often in western media is uh, huawei's founder hmm. uh, ren chengfei hmm. he was in the pla okay earlier hmm. he was in pla that's their argument okay. and then they say that he still continues to maintain those Network relationships or networks hmm. with the pla and uh, so there was like when he left pla mm. i think probably in early 80s mm. and then he was working with another uh, state owned enterprise for few years before okay. he started huawei 1987 okay so that's one thing which finds a very frequent mention that all right he has his linkages with pla and uh they are a state i mean they for practical reasons they are um they are not immune to interference from the chinese state mm-hmm. um again party committees mentioned does come up that okay party committees intervene in um their functioning or internal working or whatever uh, these are the concerns and again uh, ipr infringement which is always consistent so come 2012 uh, there was the time when uh, a us house intelligence committee was established okay and then this committee said that we should not use equipment from Huawei okay. and ZTE corporation because of these obvious reasons all right so that was done hmm. 2012 so Huawei and ZTE were no more supplying equipment to sensitive entities within the government of sure all right that makes sense america so just uh, to get a better understanding they're saying that Huawei is clearly in some way linked to the Chinese government and that they can use this equipment apart from the IPR infringement they can use this equipment to do what in the sense there's a lot that's being said about backdoors today but is that something that they were worried about back in 2012 yes uh, they have uh, again mentioned this point very well that um, because it's a foreign equipment then you don't have any uh, like quality check in that sense hmm. obviously you will test it hmm. but you cannot actually make out if it's a backdoor hmm. and uh, these companies uh, being so influential i mean so easily under influence of chinese state hmm. could be used by the state to 
plant backdoors which can collect data on american people because once you deploy your network or deploy your equipment then obviously you have some kind of visibility on what's hmm. happening in there so if uh, huawei has set up something in india then obviously headquarters would know that Uh, yeah what's happening like at least uh, for technical support or uh, hmm. for other things you do maintain some kind of uh, connectivity with the network wherever hmm. it has been deployed yeah so those concerns are obviously there hmm. uh, and uh, the house committee banned them from providing equipment to sensitive government hmm. organization so that's okay right yeah and uh, so american market was more uh, dependent on Nokia and Ericsson. So hmm. Nokia, for that matter, is from Finland. Hmm. Ericsson is from Sweden. Yeah. So both Europeans. And uh, 2018 again. Hmm. Now administration changes. Obama hmm. to Trump. Hmm. And whatever Trump had promised in his manifesto, he's supposed to do it. Hmm. That I think we all know. <laughs> he's tried really hard to do it. Yeah. So he's not budging. Hmm. Uh, for sure. And. Uh, 2018, uh, there was this Defense Authorization Act, uh, hmm. something I'm not able to uh, phrase it correctly. Mm, but. That's okay. So this act again forbade them from providing technology to any federal government entity. So no uh, government entity can buy. So it's not just telecommunication, but ICT, like for example, network gear, routers, oh, switches, okay. so you just cannot buy from any of these. and then what happened was uh, because of uh, ipr theft cases again a mm-hmm. case uh, a proper lawsuit was initiated against mm-hmm. huawei and now this was the sorry i forgot to mention one very important point okay that's about iranian sanctions so 2008 9 onwards mm-hmm. uh, us has been following iran for um, nuclear weapons program right? yeah yeah and it was put under sanctions mm-hmm. so that means that any company which is supplying technology to iranian government mm mm-hmm. Uh, U.S. should not deal with them. Okay. 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 That's the crux. That they should not be dealing with those companies which are supplying technology to Iranian Iran, government. Yeah. And Huawei and ZTE both were supplying technology to Iranian government, which they accused them of to be used in uh, monitoring people or monitoring uh, those people, especially who are dissenting or to arrest them or uh, to infringe upon their human rights. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So. based on this violation of american sanctions against iran the house committee 2012 said uh, they are in they were found involved in that and that's why they should be banned along with these reasons which we discussed earlier okay and this is one of the reasons that uh, meng wang was exactly. also arrested right so when they were following up this case in uh, around towards the end of 2018 mm. and uh, meng she was traveling to canada and she was arrested in vancouver yeah uh, on the request of us mm. as a follow up of these cases which were pending which mm. says that they have infringed upon the american sanctions and that's why she has been booked and she is still fighting her extradition case mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. Uh, there was a beginning mm. of this phase of conflict <laughs> i would say uh, so that's it uh, december 2018 i think she was arrested somewhere mm. around and after that series of cases series of uh, accusations and accusations so there is no end of it mm-hmm. so but the central argument still rests on these three four uh, points which i um, briefly touched upon how much merit do you think there are on these three four points i mean i know that there's a lot of hyperbole with what donald trump says but uh, you know if we're sort of using 5g equipment in india how much of these security concerns do we share or how much of them should we share first thing i believe that we have to dealing from what 
US has done in mm-hmm. this case as of now because their requirement is different and uh, like even in, when we discuss about uh, things like cyber security that's been my argument all throughout that mm-hmm. we should not try to import their requirements mm-hmm. and try to retrofit as it is into ours ours is very different from theirs their threat perception vis-a-vis china is completely different from what we have got and their dependence on chinese telecommunication equipment is also something which we should look into mm. so if you look at that way then uh, i just uh, when this trade war was on i mean uh, trade war is trump's gift to uh, both <laughs> china and us right yeah so they these companies were dragged in again in that case yeah. 2018 onwards right i think in march 2018 they started these uh, playing tariffs on each other yeah yeah that was one that's of how it started but uh so yeah one more important most important thing i forgot to mention was that in may 2019 mm-hmm. a few months back an executive order came from president trump mm-hmm. which put huawei and 68 or 70 odd companies which are linked to huawei or what do you call it affiliates of huawei into mm-hmm. entity list oh okay so when you are placed into entity list that means that any company mm-hmm. which is uh, selling any um services or goods to this to Huawei or its mm-hmm. affiliates has to get a license from the Bureau of Industry and Security BIS mm-hmm. US Department of Commerce okay or well, that means it's sanctioned basically mm-hmm. so any company which is trading with uh, Huawei mm-hmm. will have to secure a license and which is destined to be declined yeah so even if they apply for it under uh, i think yeah i don't know the is a category but I think five, two, and three, whatever. Okay. Uh, these categories under which you have telecommunication and semiconductors and whatever, because mm-hmm. Huawei procures a lot from American companies. Okay. So, so what do they procure? Uh, like chipsets, Qualcomm, Intel. Oh, okay. hmm. So yeah. they supply to uh, Huawei, Google for that matter, Android. So whatever hmm. has to go on with in Android with a Huawei phone uh, will come from Google, right? Hmm. Although Huawei is open source, but all the services uh, which are built on that Gmail, YouTube, if you want mm-hmm. to have, then that's a kind of export. Okay. So yeah. that's for sure that now onwards, uh, American companies it won't be easy if the same situation continues and Huawei remains to be in the entity list. Hmm. Then definitely, US companies cannot trade. Okay. Do you think? that Huawei and ZTE are sort of pawns of the trade war or do you think that there is merit to what is happening do you think these are issues that um, need to be taken seriously oh well uh, i don't think i can actually comment on that precisely hmm. because we'll first have to see that what's happening with us in hmm. that case so whatever accusation us has put that's based on their intelligence analysis technical analysis figuring out that how the source code behaves mm. all those things right unless until we don't do this kind of exercise mm. we don't rip apart their equipment and then see all right this is what is happening this is the source code i think they are pretty okay with sharing source code also for analysis they, okay. they are pretty okay with that unless until that's happening in our case mm. i think we don't have the right to raise the same accusation what us has raised so now if you look at from us i mean i cannot uh speak on behalf of us so yeah, whatever sure, the accusations are i believe uh, for them i think they are valid hmm. and for chinese uh, they are invalid hmm. there are two sides to every story of course right but when it comes to the indian side what do you think india's policy should be i guess um what do you think we should be doing about huawei should we be ripping apart routers and seeing what's inside yes absolutely <laughs> 
so if you look at uh, the department of telecommunication they have a provision of uh, something called as a security lab okay. under the they have this uh, telecommunication equipment criteria some certification criteria right so there has to be a security lab so ideally this lab should be the one uh, looking at all these issues that are backdoors actually there mm. uh, which should have the right people and competency to rip apart mm. telecom gear mm. and then certify all right this is true and this is good mm. okay this chunk is not good fix it okay. so what whoever did was uh, in 2010 they started something called as Huawei Cyber Security Evaluation Center okay. that was set up in uh, UK hmm. in collaboration with British Telecom because there was a time when uh, BT was buying a lot from Huawei and the same concerns that uh, the US has their equipment has backdoors to hmm. servers so at Huawei's cost uh, they set up this cyber security evaluation center in UK okay and people it was put under the charge of GCHQ hmm. So the GCHQ is the intelligence organization oh, okay. of government of UK. Government's uh, communication headquarters is called. Okay. So technical intelligence like what is NSA to US is GCHQ to UK. Okay. So it was under GCHQ mm-hmm. um, by UK National then they were actually involved in a lot of uh, certification criteria where they were testing and then figuring out that what's happening within the software. Mm-hmm. and they continuously have been reporting all right there are flaws in this thing the software engineering processes are not good mm-hmm. so that's a different story which has been uh, ripening up in uk mm-hmm. okay because do you have a pretext here? like you have a, a like a background mm-hmm. here because mm-hmm. when when the report from this particular oversight board says that okay their engineering processes are weak and they are vulnerable to attacks the reason being so and so then it becomes more grounded in reality mm. then the parliament can question them mm. parliament can raise questions that why is it happening or so unless until we are into such a kind of exercise i think you don't have the real grounding to raise doubts on somebody's software or on somebody's equipment so i think first and foremost you said what india should do is to raise uh, this lab to mm. such a level that it is able to meet these uh, demands Uh, mm-hmm. for uh, security evaluation mm-hmm. along with that spectrum allocation first and foremost <laughs> before you do anything else uh the government wants to allocate spectrum towards the end of the year 2019 yeah 2019 okay but i shouldn't say but yeah it's too difficult as of now oh. first of all uh, base price is quite high mm-hmm. it's probably three or four times costlier than what south korean telecom mm-hmm. players paid for Hmm. If you break it down into per megahertz, okay. So try is not budging. Telecom Regulatory Authority of India, the hmm. one who is going to actually auction these spectrums, hmm. and even if you look at uh, last three or four years, uh, we have been very bad with spectrum allocation. Yeah, spectrum, the two G, three G scams. Uh, not I know I'm not touching upon scams here. Okay. Okay. Scams is <laughs> a different story. Not Let's for this not podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, what happened was in 2016-17 when uh, spectrum allocation was done, we did not find any buyers. Oh. So a lot of spectrum actually went unsold. Is it because it's too costly? It's too costly, and uh, Indian telecom players are bleeding. Like mm. if you look at their balance sheets, uh, none of them is actually making profits right now. That's true. Yeah. So, all right. So this again, this argument which I had uh, in one of the briefs which I prepared was that um, you should look at the health of telecom players in the mm. beginning. China Telecom, China Unicom are under government's control. Government can push them 
to do 5G or to deploy 5G. We BSNL cannot. on the other hand is BSNL a different story. BSNL has not even got 4G spectrum. You know that? <laughs> I did not know that. BSNL has got zero spectrum uh, which on which I mean from the 4G. Oh, technology. So, I mean, they cannot practically implement. So the government can't also. even be a player in this sense. I doubt. Okay. Uh, not in that sense, but obviously regulation, mm-hmm. uh, policy formulation. These are completely government's uh, areas of responsibility. So now, in that sense, uh, uh, beyond spectrum, I think one important thing would be that's mm-hmm. my assessment to make sure that you have a very good penetration of optical fibers. Okay. So a lot of backhaul. So when the network operates, mm-hmm. uh, once the wireless thing is over, that mm-hmm. wireless communication is over, mm-hmm. the data travels over optical fibers. Yeah. Because uh, wireless uh, connectivity or radio frequencies have their own mm-hmm. uh, limitations in terms of uh, bandwidth. So these fiber optics are cables under the sea or under the ground? Under the sea and under the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So they are the ones like because of optical nature of communication. Mm-hmm. Practically, what we call it as, they have got unlimited bandwidth. Practically, mm-hmm. I okay. mean, uh, not in true sense, but mm-hmm. the whole idea is that they give you very, like, massive bandwidth, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can carry bulk of your communications. So what has happened was uh, Chinese government. Mm-hmm. Again, comparison here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran. They have been running this massive program for uh, optical fiber connectivity. Okay. All right. And what that eventually turns up to be, like when you actually go into 5G deployment mm. and when you have your sites placed in mm. and then you connect them using optical fibers. Okay. Because optical fiber will carry bulk of the data for you. Mm. That's enabler. Okay. All right. Uh, our uh, situation as of now is that our 25% of sites, mm. mobile sites, mm. the towers, you can say, are connected by optical fiber. That's way less as compared to what's there in Europe or China. How much is it there? I think it's 70, 80 or probably I think in Japan it's probably above 90. So even if you look at per capita optical fiber, what do you call measures or whatever? Yeah. It's very low. One of the lowest Hmm. density we have got of optical fibers Hmm. in our country. So it is an enabling infrastructure on which 5G will rest beyond technology or whatever Hmm. uh, big talks we might do. But these are, I think, the underlying things which we have to be prepared for before we start procuring or start importing and then begin deploying. (laughs) All right. Uh, Just this is my last question. Uh, But if someone wants to read more about what's happening with 5G, then what books or what resources would you recommend for them? No books as of now. Unfortunately. Fortunately. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless yours uh, comes out anytime soon. (laughs) It won't be useful, but... A uh, lot of information is available on web. Mm. Um, even if you look at uh, reports uh, which come from leading think tanks, you can have a look at them. Mm. If you look at Western ones, then they'll be uh, completely anti-China. And mm. if you look at a few ones which come from China, they would be completely anti-US. So you'll have to draw the balance properly. Mm. But for my research, I have relied uh, on everything like which could possibly serve my purpose. Okay. So, so anything both like sides from your looking at both angles, mm. both angles. Uh, problem was with uh, Chinese initially because uh, if you look at the reports which were during 1980s and 90s and that period, mm. they were not available okay. uh, to me mm. as such. Uh, but uh, since a lot of scholarly work has happened uh, tracing China's journey in telecommunication, mm-hmm. so I could 
actually refer to a lot of secondary sources mm. uh, but a uh, few of them were of actually like very high quality work so i don't like i can't recommend any one book as such because there is no book as of now on 5g but uh, you'll just have to use your discretion and then figure out which one you want to read okay all right thank you so much vinish thank you for Welcome. being on the show that's it for this episode of states of anarchy thanks for staying with us till the end if you want to read more about 5g technology i've attached a bunch of resources for you in the episode description so head on over if you have any comments or questions then you can follow the podcast on twitter at the rate hamsini h and on instagram at the rate states of anarchy if you like what you listen to then do subscribe to states of anarchy on the ivm podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts we'll be back next week Did you know that Parsis in Mumbai instead of being left at the tower of silence after they die are now cremated and why because a cow fell sick in the early 1990s did you know that the smog in delhi is caused by something that farmers in punjab do and that there's no way to stop them did you know that there wasn't one gas tragedy in bhopal but three one of them was seen but two were unseen did you know that many well intentioned government policies hurt the people they're supposed to help Why was demonetization a bad idea? How should GST have been implemented? Why are all our politicians so corrupt when not all of them are bad people? I'm Amit Verma and in my weekly podcast The Seen and the Unseen I take a shot at answering all these questions and many more. I aim to go beyond the scene and show you the unseen effects of public policy and private action. I speak to experts on economics, political philosophy, cognitive neuroscience and constitutional law so that the insights can blow not only my mind but also yours. The Seen and the Unseen releases every Monday. So do check out the archives and follow the show at seenunseen.in. You can also subscribe to The Seen and the Unseen on whatever podcast app you happen to prefer. नमस्ते मैं हूं सौरभ चंद्रा और मैं प्रणय कोटिस्थाने जब महफिल खत्म होते होते दरवाजे के बाहर पुलिया के ऊपर हम दुनिया भर की जटिल समस्याओं को सॉल्व करने में लग जाते हैं तो हो जाती है पुलियाबाजी अब आजकल के अपार्टमेंट वालों ने तो कभी पुलिया देखी नहीं होगी पर आप फीलिंग तो समझ ही सकते हैं तो आइए शामिल हो जाइए हमारी पुलियाबाजी में जहाँ प्रणय और मैं एक से एक इंटरेस्टिंग टॉपिक्स की तह तक जाएंगे आर्टिफिशियल इंटेलिजेंस बिटकॉइन पाकिस्तान मेडिकल एजुकेशन करेंसी क्राइसिस कभी हम दोनों के साथ और अक्सर स्पेशल एक्सपर्ट गेस्ट की कंपनी में सुनिए हमें आई वी एम की वेबसाइट ऐप या अपने फेवरेट पॉडकास्टिंग प्लेटफॉर्म आरोप हर दूसरे हफ्ते 